Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Thursday, June 6th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, the DNC refuses a climate change debate, O'Rourke calls for term limits in Congress and the Supreme Court, a look at Booker's plan for affordable housing, and Gillibrand wants to legalize marijuana nationwide. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Yesterday, the Democratic National Committee officially refused to hold a debate focused on climate change. They also threatened a candidate saying that if he participated in somebody else's debate on that topic, he would not be invited to the DNC debates. That's when stuff got real. Okay, so let me set the stage. As we have discussed before on this show, there are tons of candidates in this field calling for one single-issue debate on the issue of climate change. In all, the DNC plans to hold 12 total debates, and they are not counting those two-night debates as two things. That's one debate across two nights. So we're going to have a dozen debates across more than a dozen calendar days. So candidates, as well as voters, have been saying, hey, we'd like one of those to be about climate change. Back on May 22nd, I reported on a group called U.S. Youth Climate Strike, which is urging candidates to back such a debate. On that day, I emailed them to ask which candidates had specifically requested such a debate, and they got back to me right away. And the list has grown since then. Here is the current list as best I can tell. Bennett, Castro, Gillibrand, Gravel, Inslee, Klobuchar, Ryan, Sanders, Warren, and Yang. That's 10 candidates that I know of, anyway. Okay, so Wednesday afternoon, Washington Governor Jay Inslee posted a Twitter thread. I'm going to read the first four tweets from that thread here. Quote, Today my team received a call from the Democratic National Committee letting us know that they will not host a climate debate. Further, they explained that if we participated in anyone else's climate debate, we will not be invited to future debates. This is deeply disappointing. The DNC is silencing the voices of Democratic activists, many of our progressive partner organizations, and nearly half of the Democratic presidential field who want to debate the existential crisis of our time. Democratic voters say that climate change is their top issue. The Democratic National Committee must listen to the grassroots of the party. End quote. Later in the day, Senator Elizabeth Warren agreed. She retweeted Inslee, adding, quote, Governor Inslee is exactly right. Climate change is the biggest challenge we face. Every candidate running for president should have a serious set of policies to address it and should be eager to defend those proposals in a debate. End quote. Okay, so then Tom Perez, who is currently chair of the DNC, took to Twitter to explain his position. He wrote, in part, quote, I know and agree that climate change is an existential threat. I saw it firsthand today when I visited Hurricane Michael survivors in Florida. I have personally told media partners seeking to host a 2020 primary debate how important it is for climate change to be debated during each and every debate. Frankly, it is my opinion that it is an issue that should have been more prominent during the 2016 cycle. The DNC will not be holding entire debates on a single issue area. We want to make sure voters have the ability to hear from candidates on all the issues. End quote. And I give Perez credit for what he says. I mean, he's saying, yeah, let's include this issue in every debate. That is a reasonable position. And he's also admitting that the DNC didn't get it done last time. Okay, well, people make mistakes and it's important to learn from them. 
A variety of people on Twitter took exception to Inslee's language in his tweets, saying that the DNC was not silencing him, they just weren't having a debate on what he wanted. And there is some merit to that argument. The DNC is not going around saying, you may not speak, what they're doing is more nuanced. So look, it's one thing to say, hey, we don't do single-issue debates, that's just not our thing. Okay, I mean, that is not historically true, given that on November 14th, 2015, the DNC hosted a single-issue debate on foreign policy with a focus on terrorism. But still, I can see how reasonable people can disagree on the concept of whether a single-issue debate is a good idea. Also, if Perez says we'll include it in every debate, that's not nothing. The problem comes when the DNC also told Inslee, and by extension, all the candidates, that if they participate in somebody else's debate, they would be disinvited from the DNC debates. That does seem to cross a line. That's the party, that's my party, saying the DNC debates are the only ones you are allowed to attend. And if you participate in speech with other organizations, we're done with you. Now that is what so many people find unacceptable. I want to be super clear. It is certainly the DNC's right to have a policy like this. They are not the government. And thus, they are allowed to have rules restricting speech or blocking people from their platform. The point here is not an issue of freedom of speech in the constitutional sense. It's a matter of policy within the Democratic Party. And the debate is whether this policy is reasonable. So the condemnations came in rather swiftly. Al Gore chimed in, saying, quote, It's a mistake for the DNC to refuse to hold a climate debate on the most critical issue of this election. Why wouldn't the party listen to its voters and give a platform to Democratic candidates' ideas on the number one issue to contrast with this president's denial? End quote. Similar statements came from the Sierra Club, Next Gen America, U.S. Youth Climate Strike, the Sunrise Movement, the Women's March, and on and on. The hashtag climate debate actually began trending on Twitter last night. And then Inslee went on CNN to speak with Aaron Burnett about the issue. Listen in. What do you say to the DNC? Extremely disappointing. Look, the, the, the grassroots of our party are demanding that we pay attention to this existential threat. This is an issue upon which life depends itself and the continued civilization that we now enjoy. And it is, it is totally unacceptable to me, not only not to have a debate where we end up just having cliches and sound bites instead of forcing the candidates to put their plans forward, yeah. but also they've also said that they are, are barring Democratic candidates from participating in other debates. That's outrageous to me to muzzle candidates mm. who want to go out and have this debate. And I will tell them that what I'm hearing across the country is Democrats are insistent that we call the candidates to a higher plane of discussion of this, which was ignored for the last 20 to 30 years. So I hope that they reconsider. And I hope the other aspirants to this office join me, as 11 have already, to ask the DNC to reconsider this. Mm. America deserves this. Our party deserves this. We are the Democratic Party. We believe in democracy. All right. Governor Inslee, thank you very much. I you appreciate your you. time. Okay, to wrap this up, the reason this issue came up to begin with is that in the previous cycle, only five and a half minutes were actually devoted to this issue in the presidential debates. Now, that's not the DNC debates, that is the actual presidential ones. The intent of these Democratic candidates pushing for climate as a foundational issue in DNC debates is to prevent that from happening again at a national level. So stay tuned and we will see how this all turns out.
What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yesterday, just as the show was going out, Beto O'Rourke released a new plan focused on voting rights and government reform. I promised you late in yesterday's show that I would cover that today, so here we are. I'm going to read his three-point summary up top to give you the overview. Quote, 1. Increase participation in our democracy by growing the ranks of eligible registered voters and limiting permanent incumbency to inspire a new generation of Americans to run for office. 2. Remove barriers within our democracy by making it easier for everyone to make their voices heard. And... Three, rebuild confidence in our democracy by aggressively confronting interference in our elections and building confidence in our institutions so Americans have faith that our electoral process represents their interests, not those of corporations, special interests, or foreign powers. End quote. So, on to some specifics. The biggest headline came from O'Rourke's call for term limits for both Congress and the Supreme Court. He wants House representatives limited to six terms, which adds up to 12 years, and senators limited to two terms, which also adds up to 12 years. For Supreme Court justices, he wants an 18-year term limit, after which the judge would still be allowed to serve on the Federal Court of Appeals. But that's not all. There's a bunch of other stuff in this policy. For one thing, O'Rourke calls for an expansion of early voting nationwide for a two-week period, including weekends, before national elections. He also calls for Election Day itself to become a national holiday, and he calls for automatic and same-day voter registration, including pre-registration for young people who are approaching the voting age. He also wants to expand vote-by-mail systems. All of these policies are aimed at increasing voter turnout and voter participation in general. In the final section of his proposal, a work calls for enhanced security around elections to prevent tampering with the results. Part of this includes things like paper ballots and automatic audits on electronic voting systems. Another part is doing away with gerrymandering. Yet another is reversing the current administration's attempt to add a citizenship question to the census. And yet another has to do with banning political action committee donations to campaigns. Now, there's a lot in here and there's even more to it. There's a link in the show notes to dig in. As always with policy, I ask about the cost and how the candidate would pay for it. There is no mention of the costs associated with this policy, nor any mention of how those costs would be paid. Now, if I had to guess, I think the biggest cost here would be associated with adding a new national holiday, but I don't actually know because the campaign did not attempt to estimate that, nor any other costs associated with the proposals put forth.
And that's not all for big policy coming from yesterday. Senator Cory Booker released a plan to make housing more affordable for all Americans, and especially for renters. The plan is based in large part on legislation that Booker introduced last year, which remains stalled in the Senate. A New York Times article said the plan would, quote, provide a tax credit for renters to ensure they would not spend more than 30% of their income on rent, a sweeping new entitlement program that his campaign estimated would reach 57 million Americans, including 17 million children, end quote. As rent costs have increased, sometimes super dramatically in parts of the country, the imbalance between homeowners and renters has also increased. Homeowners still get mortgage interest deductions on their tax bills, but renters do not. This policy would help to level that playing field, but there's more to the policy than that. Reading from a Politico summary, quote, Expanded legal rights for tenants facing eviction would be funded with a national eviction right to counsel fund, which would funnel money to state and local governments that commit to enacting a right to counsel. Booker's plan would direct $40 billion a year to the Housing Trust Fund to build and operate rental housing for people earning less than the federal poverty level or 30% of the area's median income. It also includes funding for rural housing, grants to combat homelessness, and federal funding incentives to spur local governments to overhaul restrictive zoning laws that drive up the cost of housing. End quote. And by the way, while we're at it, Senator Kamala Harris has a somewhat similar proposal to provide tax credits for renters earning less than $125,000 a year. Her plan differs from Booker's in that it would scale the amount of credit based on income, whereas Booker's is a flat percentage with no upper limit. Okay, so just like in our last segment, what would this cost and how would Booker pay for it? Well, the campaign estimates it will cost $134 billion each year. To pay for it, Booker proposes reversing recent changes to the estate tax, which would bring in about $25 billion each year, and the remainder would come from rolling back parts of the recent Republican tax cuts. And last up today, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand released a detailed proposal to legalize marijuana nationwide. Here are two paragraphs from early on in her proposal. Quote, The unfair enforcement of our current marijuana laws is a continuation of the institutional racism that has defined our criminal justice system for decades. This vestige of the war on drugs has irreparably harmed too many lives and communities, predominantly black and brown ones. Black Americans are more likely to be arrested for nonviolent marijuana offenses than white Americans, even though use rates are roughly the same across races. And we're talking about entire lives, families, and communities being derailed. Felony convictions make it much harder to get and keep jobs, access financial loans, exercise the right to vote, travel abroad, and receive social and housing benefits. End quote. Gillibrand goes on to discuss the potential medical benefits of marijuana as an alternative to opioids, and also talks about legalized marijuana as an area for economic benefit, both through legal business activity and through pharmaceutical research. The plan is relatively straightforward. The headline points are that she would deschedule marijuana as a controlled substance, she would expunge all nonviolent marijuana convictions, She would invest in research and require health insurance plans to cover medical marijuana. She would legalize and tax recreational marijuana nationwide. And she would make it easier to run a marijuana-related business by allowing for, you know, using things like banks, which currently is a serious problem even in states where recreational use is illegal. 
So what would this cost and how would Gillibrand pay for it? That is unclear. Gillibrand does suggest imposing an excise tax on marijuana at the federal level and using that funding, whatever it is, to handle the costs of some other parts of the plan. But at the same time, she doesn't cite a figure for how much R&D funding she is asking for, nor any details about that tax. So I'd love to see some more math here. Frankly, I'm also really curious what it costs to expunge a felony record. Even if it's just a rough estimate, I just don't know what that entails, and I would like to because so many candidates have talked about it. For more on the plan, check the second-to-last link in the show notes. And incidentally, almost every candidate in this field supports some form of marijuana legalization at the national level. The Gillibrand plan is just the latest, and perhaps the most detailed one, that I have yet seen. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Okay, in a very human moment, yesterday Cory Booker put out a call on Twitter asking for folks to help find his staffer's lost dog. The dog's name is Gumbo. Gumbo is a pit boxer mix and was last seen in southwest Atlanta. Booker posted video and a good photo of Gumbo on Twitter, and that was immediately retweeted by Julian Castro, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, and a bunch of others. So, for those of y'all in Atlanta and thereabouts, check the last link in the show notes and let's see if we can get this dog home. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. 